As Kevin said, we're working our way through 2 Peter, and today we're up to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10. And um, that text is printed in the bulletin also up on uh, the screens behind me. So uh, um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it this morning. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Um, Memory's a funny thing, isn't it? It uh, is interesting how that works. And so what, what Peter says here at the beginning of this text is he wants to remind us. Uh, in, in fact, he wants to, uh, as he says here, is that he wants to remind us of some things that he's already written and remind us of some things that we've, that we've already heard, right? So now we hear that and we think, you know what, I'm, I'm not into reminders. Quit, uh, quit reminding me. Uh, or I don't like hearing the same thing over and over again. But in fact, memory uh, and, and being reminded and having reminders is a mercy to us, right? Uh, um, Mrs. Shelby takes her first graders every year, and she has to train them at the first of the year for things that she will remind them to do all year long. How do you line up? How do you go to the bathroom? How do you play in the playground? Uh, how do you resolve conflict? 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 <laughs> right? So, so you, have to, you have to go over that stuff over and over and over again. Right? And so, so the, the, the fact of, of the matter is these things are valuable to us. Now, what Peter's doing in this text is reminding the church that Jesus is coming again. Now, my guess is this morning you need to be reminded of that because you didn't wake up this morning and your first thought was, could this be the day? Right? Uh, it probably, actually, you probably almost never have that thought. And not only do you almost never have that thought, for many of you, if he were to come today, it would be an intrusion on your plans. Uh, or if you, if, if, or, or you, you would be shocked. You'd be stunned. You would, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. I've heard that all my life. And look, it happened. He showed up, right? So, so as we, as we look at this today, that's one of the contexts that we have to place this in, is that Peter is reminding the church of what we already know. So, 
Samuel Johnson said that people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And so it is important for us this morning, and it was obviously important for Peter uh, to uh, remind the church uh, about this. So let me give you a quick, since we're at the beginning of chapter 3, the last chapter in the book, where we've come from. So in chapter 1 of Second Peter, he tells us to believe in the very great promises from God, right? Very precious and, and great promises of God. In chapter 2, he warns us not to follow the ways of the false teachers, and now in chapter 3, Peter kind of returns in part to the theme of chapter 1, namely that God has given his people precious and very great promises so that if we trust them, we will have power to resist temptation and remain in the way of righteousness. Next slide, please, Chris. So, so what we have to see here is, and he goes on later, and we'll talk about this next week, that in verses 13 through 14, the connection between the hope which the promises inspire, and the power for godliness which this hope gives. He says, according to his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So confident expectation of a new world of righteousness uh, is what spurs us on in the world right now. And all of this comes to us by way of reminding, of telling us to remember. In fact, what he actually says here at the beginning of the text is, um, and both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. So he is reminding us to remember. That's, that's, that's exactly what he has to do for us today, is to remind us that part of what following Jesus Christ is, is remembering, is remembering, and is remembering. Remembering the promises, remembering his work, remembering his, his testimony, remembering his cross his resurrection, and his promise to come again. So, so what we need to do this morning is to look then at uh, a couple of things that jump out of, uh, uh, out of this text uh, at us. So he says that we should expect that there are going to be scoffers, right? Uh, and uh, this, is, this is a great uh, uh, passage here. Verse 3 says, knowing that first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing. What do scoffers do? They scoff. How do you know if somebody's a scoffer? They scoff. How do you know if somebody scoffs? They're a scoffer, right? That's what they do, right? So, uh, so he says here that there are people, probably the false teachers, who have said, listen, you can live any way you want to. You don't need to worry about anything. The gospel is a blank check to behave in any way in which you want. Jesus is not coming back. Look, it's taken him forever. People are dying. There's no... Day in, day out, life goes on. He is never going to come back, so just do whatever you want to do, right? Now, the thing that, that, that Peter wants us to understand about that is, and to be encouraged by, is he reminds us exactly what he says here. He says, knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing following their own sinful desires. In other words, what, when we hear scoffing about this, an alarm should go off in our head that, hey, this was predicted, that scoffers would come, that, 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 some, that people would come along and say, oh, this is not true, he's not coming back. So the very fact that there are people who are scoffing about this should indicate to us, should give us a sense of, oh, wait a minute, there's a promise, there's an indicator that Jesus is going to come back because people are saying that he's not. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing that you have to see there. So the, the fact that the scoffers scoff is actually a reassurance that these prophetic promises are true. And so that their scoffing actually uh, was uh, predicted. So that's, that's, a, that's a pretty important thing for us to, to lay hold of, firstly. Secondly, 
The false teachers forget that the fact that the world exists as a stable place for people to live has always depended upon and still to this day depends upon the will and the word of God. We read that in verses 5 through 7 here. What does he say? He says this. He says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. In other words, one of the things that you have to see is the fact that there's a regularity to the world, the fact that there are natural laws and and laws of nature that dictate the way things work, is because God set it up that way. John Piper says that, that the laws of nature are like the whispers of God into this world so that, that things happen a certain way. God has, has made the world uh, uh, exist as he did before the flood, and it was a certain way, and it existed, and people lived, and they ate, and they drank, and they married, and they gave in marriage, as we, as we said before. And then suddenly, without uh, <clears throat> anybody really expecting it, except Noah, God flooded the world. Well, the same thing, the same thing is going on here. What he says is, is that we live in this world and we look around us and we think day in and day out, the same things happen. Day in and day out, uh, it's my same hard, grinding life. And, and the fact is, Jesus is, is, is not going to come back. Well, what, what he wants us to understand is, is that the world is the way it is because God is ordering it that way. We have a doctrine that we call the doctrine of the providence of God. And what that means is, is that God not only made the world by his word, but he upholds it by his word. And that in Jesus Christ, everything that we see around us, the molecules and the atoms and the, and the birds and the fish and the water and the, and the earth and all of those things are being held together by God. And so if it's, all of that stuff is being held together by him, he dictates, he determines how it will be and, and, and how things are going to, uh, uh, to happen. So the scriptures tell us that in him all things hold together. So the false teachers miss the fact that things have not always been as they are now, and he cites the flood as evidence for that. In other words, there was a time when the world was one way, and God wiped it clean with a flood, and so just because he did, he did that in the past, we should not be surprised if he were to do that now. He, he did away with the world with, with floodwaters uh, uh, in, in Genesis, and this time he will wipe the world clean with fire. Right Now, as we, as we read that and as we see that, one of the things that we have to begin to unpack about that is just how powerful and profound it is to live in a place with the knowledge and the understanding that the, the way the world works is determined by God. And that God is the one who has established the world to function in the way in which it functions. And he can change those laws. He can interact with those laws. And he can do as he pleases with that. But the point of that is, he doesn't do it just because he can, he, he, he can please, please himself, or that he can just do that as he pleases. He does that in a purposeful way. God orders the affairs of our lives. He orders the affairs of the planet for his glory and for our good. And so we can, we can trust him even when we, we look around us and we think life is really boring and it's a real grind, or on the other hand, where it seems like it is very difficult and challenging for us. Next slide. Um, and those of you who are here at the early service may be thinking, wow, he's going fast. 
I am, because your children are in here. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're on a rocket ride here this morning, okay? Just hang on with me. I know you're like three, four, five, how many more of these? I've already left out a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to leave out more stuff, so just hang in there with me. So, third, God's experience of time is unique, right? And we hear this classic verse here that says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So we hear that and we think, well, well, what does does that mean, right? Well, the question is, What is a long time and what is a short time, right? Now, one of the things that happens to you when you get older is the years speed up. Now, they don't don't really speed up, but it sure feels like it. They speed up. But you know what else happens? The days get longer. Long days, short years. You have these days where you're like, oh my goodness, when is this going to be over? Right? And, and you know that's exactly how you experience time. There are, there are weeks that you have where you have sick kids at home, or, or there are weeks where, where you have a terrible week at work and, and you can't wait for it to be over, or you have a terrible situation like that and it seems like it's never going to be over. And yet, you may go out on vacation or go away for a few days and you're like, the time flew by. It went by so quickly, right? Um, so one of the things that I think is, is, is for us to think about that is, for most of us, time goes slowly when we're struggling, or worse yet, worse yet, worse yet, when we're bored. We're on the precipice of summer vacation. Do not allow that word, B-O-R-E-D, to be spoken in your homes this summer. Because if someone is bored, there are always gumballs to pick up in the yard. There are always pine cones to pick up in the yard. There is always trash to be taken out. There is always things to be done. That is a four-letter word, B-O-R-E, and it is never to be uttered. Do you understand that? Because isn't it so funny, kids? You're like, I can't wait till summer vacation. I can't wait till summer vacation. And then it happens and you get bored. And then you're like, when can I get back with my friends? This is terrible, right? Well, think about this for a second. How does time pass for God? How does time pass for, for the Lord? How does that work? Well, the fact is, one of the things that we have to say about God is, He's never bored. He's always engaged. He's always enjoying what he has made. He is always aware. He is always looking. He is always fully uh, aware of what is happening to his people, taking delight in them and in his work in them, uh, uh, correcting, leading, and, and ordering the, the affairs. And so, so the fact is the way we think about time passing and th- that sort of stuff, we can't, we can't categorize that with God. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily appropriate to say that God is outside of time in, in some way or another, but it is appropriate to say he is Lord of time. And, and, and the fact is he is engaged and involved through that, right? So, so the fact is the way God understands time and the way we understand time, um, 
is, 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 is quite different. Uh, Piper says of this that when Jesus returns and he stands on the earth, I think this is a little cheesy, but I think you'll, you'll get what he means by this, is that when he comes back and he stands on the earth, he's going to say, well, it seems like I was just here yesterday. Right? Um, so, so the fact is, it is uh, how we think about time and the way it actually uh, works. Um, um, I mean, after all, think about eternity for a second. You know, the fact that you will live uh, forever with the Lord. And uh, when we've been there for 10,000 years, it will have been like we haven't been there any time at all, right? So, and then fourthly, the delaying Christ's coming is a mercy and an indicator of the patience of God. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any uh, should perish, but that all should reach repentance. One of the things that you have to see about that is, is that the delay of God is not that God is asleep, or that he's tired, or that he's disengaged, or that he's not real, but the very fact of the matter is the fact that time goes the way it goes, that days follow after days, the point of that is so that people will hear the gospel and repent. Now, one of the things that, you know, Christian ease and evangelicals like to, to, to think about and kind of have a pseudo guilt about is, is that we don't really anticipate when somebody asks you, you know, are you eager for the Lord to come back? We always say yes, but, but are we? Maybe, maybe not. Probably, probably not, because we're probably only if we're facing exams or some sort of difficulty or, or something like that, right? So the, the fact is, uh, it's totally okay to say, I hope the Lord doesn't come back until this person that I love repents. There's nothing wrong with that. And that seeing and looking at the delay of Jesus' return is an indicator and a picture of the heart of God towards what He has made and what He loves. And so, so when we see and we cry out for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus to come, I always say, yes, Lord Jesus, come, but save that person before you do. Please. Right? And there's, that's actually in line with what he says here is that his delay in coming uh, is uh, for the point of mercy and is his patience and it is his desire that people would hear and respond and trust uh, in the gospel, right? And so we should, we should look at it that way. So what are some things that we can take away from this that would, would, would help us this morning? Well, the first thing is you have been taught that history is cyclical. It is not. Okay? There are patterns in the way in which human affairs unfold and that sort of thing, but the fact of the matter is history is moving toward an end, and the Lord of that history is the one who will bring the curtain down on this world uh, when he returns. So, so the, the, the fact is, as we look at things, one of the things that you need to understand about this is, is that Whatever temptation you're experiencing, whatever sin you are prone to, whatever pain you experience every day, day in, day out, <clears throat> that seems to be bigger and more powerful and more profound than you could ever imagine, it is temporary. Your sin and your temptation is temporary. 
One of the things that we miss when, when, we, when we see and we uh, look forward to uh, the Lord's return is, is that sin ends, that temptation ends, that pain ends, that all of those things come to an end. They will be no more. And so all of those things that weigh on us now, the broken relationships that we struggle through, the, the diseases that we struggle through, the anger that we're prone to, the depression, the cynicism, the racism, all of those things that weigh so heavily upon us are temporary. And they're coming to an end. And Jesus will bring them to an end when he returns. Secondly, Jesus is Lord of history. Things just aren't unfolding willy-nilly, but they are unfolding according to his plan. Not only does he govern the way nature works, but he governs the history and the affairs of men. And so we can trust him with that. One, one of the things that happens um, uh, every four years is people begin to question this. <laughs> Jesus is Lord of history, period. Okay. Uh, thirdly, uh, judgment should not make us afraid, but rather should make us soberly uh, hopeful. In other words, when we when we hear about the the the, the vast destruction and the things that are going to happen and the renewing of the earth and and all of that, it it should not make us afraid, but it should rather make us soberly hopeful. Because when we read this about the destruction of the ungodly, one of the things that you have to see that will be destroyed there is, is, is sin. One of the things that you'll see will be destroyed there is death. One of the things that will be destroyed there are all of those things that stand against you and stand against the Lord's purposes will be undone and done away with once and for all. And so when we hear these words about judgment and we expect to be standing before the judge on the last day. The thing that we have to see is is that the judge is the one who bore your punishment. The judge is the one who has been judged already. And your defense in the trial of your eternity is to trust the judge. Because he is the one who gives you his righteousness. He is the one who uh, is, 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 is your hope and your trust, right? So when you think about judgment, yes, yes, there will be things about you that will be, um, that are just simply accurate depictions of who you are and what you are. But more than that, you're judged righteous because you are in Christ. Because you belong to him. So we, those of us who belong to him need not fear judgment, but it should make us soberly hopeful about his coming and our once and for all uh, uh, experiencing and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And then lastly, a world of righteousness and justice should move us to work for that now. One of the things that you have to see about what, what, what Peter is saying to us in this is, is that this world, uh, that, that what he is going to do by, by the, the, the structures and these things that we see uh, in the world around us, they're passing away. And so we have an opportunity not only to live lives of, that, are, uh, that spur one another on to love and good deeds, that we have the opportunity to repent of our sins, that we have the opportunity to be challenged personally about our own holiness and our own growth and grace, but at the same time, we have the opportunity to declare and bear witness to this world that is coming 
by working for justice and righteousness in our, in our families and in our communities and in the places where, where we live. Not because, not because that's, there's some kind of heavy thing on us to do that, but because it bears witness to the work of Jesus Christ and it bears witness to the world to come. That the world to come is a place where there is no unrighteousness, where there is no injustice, where there is no exploitation of, of the weak or, or, or uh, 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 the disenfranchised. The fact of the matter is, as we work in these situations, the, the righteousness that we look forward to, that Isaiah says will cover the face of the earth like the sea, uh, we, we work for that now to bear witness to the future that Jesus is going to bring. Now, one of the things that, uh, that we do here uh, on the first Sunday of every month uh, is we gather at the Lord's table. If, if we could pull it off, and there's a, a host of reasons why that's very difficult. I scared the communion team at the early service. If we, if we could pull it off, I'd like to do this every week. And the reason why I'd like to do it every week is to remind you. Now, people say, well, I don't need reminding. Or, you know, it might get stale or boring. Or, I already know that. I already know that. I already know that. So, so why would Jesus think you need reminding by giving you a table and a meal to eat as a perpetual thing? Something that's going to go on and on and on and on to bear witness to the gospel. Well, it's not so much that you forget it, although you do forget it, uh, but it, it, it's also what happens to us is, is that we forget uh, his love, we forget his grace, we forget his mercy, and therefore we forget his dest- our destiny. And so it's valuable to, for us on a regular basis to have to hold something in our hand, to taste something, to eat something, to see something, and to be reminded that as, as surely as this bread is in my hand, as surely as this cup is in my hand, as surely as I taste and I eat and I take, so surely has Jesus Christ been sacrificed for me and he is coming for me.